Hey everyone, a quick note before we start today's episode, I want to point you to our brand new website at guiltgracepod.com for all things guilt, grace, gratitude, all of our podcasts, their categories by type, by episode, by season, by author, by topics, by all those good things. So everything guilt, grace, gratitude podcast you can find at guiltgracepod.com. Dot com, as well as our brand new confessional podcast network, which will be housed at confessionalpods.com. We have our inaugural sets of podcasts who have joined us, and we have more who are coming on board pretty soon. And you can also find the confessional podcast network on anywhere good podcasts are found. If you guys can help us in any way financially, go to guiltgracepod.com to give and donate. We have a lot of big plans for 2023 and beyond. and We would love for you to partner and support and build this bridge to confessional reform theology with us. Now, let's get on to this episode. You know, God's put this truth as as wiring not only into our brains, but into the fabric of the universe. And so you will find in almost every religious view that's a genuine searching for God mm-hmm. or for truth, you will find elements of truth. Yeah. You know, the atheist has elements of truth. The mm-hmm. agnostic has elements of truth. Say, well, how can an agnostic who doesn't know? Because God's not fully knowable. Hmm. And and there is an element of truth that nobody's going to know God exhaustively. Now, it doesn't mean we can't know God truly. Exactly. Truly know God. Welcome to the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast featuring Peter Bell and Nick Fulweiler. This is a show about Christian doctrine for everyone from the historic Reformed tradition, delivered by two friends in an unscripted dialogue. Join us as we discuss how the finished work of Jesus Christ changes everything. Hello, everyone. Yet once again, it's another day of fresh grace and mercy. This is the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast sponsored by Logos Bible Software where we bridge the gap to Reformed Christian theology for your listening pleasure. And today we have Mark Lanier on. We're going to be talking about religion on trial. And it's uh, the final part of our apologetic season. And this episode and our content is going to be based on his on trial books. We'll add to the show notes as a reference. You can click that link and see his on trial books. And uh, also on our show notes, you can find some other information connecting you to us uh there's our email guiltgracepod at gmail.com there's uh you can find us on twitter and instagram same handle for both at guiltgracepod and then also you heard me talk about uh, logos bible software our main sponsor we have other uh bridge builders we call so our other sponsors halfway through this show you'll hear some words from our sponsors but you as an individual can also be a bridge builder as well so click that Patreon link and you can see the different levels of giving. If you're able and willing to, to give to our show, there's a lot of anybody that knows about podcasts. There's a lot of stuff on the background that you guys don't see or hear that we have to do almost on a daily basis to keep the show running and moving forward. And with all the increased bandwidth and uh, growing podcasts. So, which is all good stuff. And if you're able to give uh, that would be helpful. And if not, we, we, uh, as long as you listen and enjoy this uh, podcast, that's what it's for, to uh, spread 
the gospel and explain doctrines and Christianity and, and apologetics and everything in between uh, across the world. We want to make sure this is free for everybody, no matter where they are. So uh, there's other you know, information on the resources in our show notes as well. So you can communicate with myself, Nick, uh, and Peter on our show, and then some a little bit more information about each of our guests and this season we are doing on apologetics. So I'll let Peter further introduce Mark Lanier. Yeah, we have Mark Lanier, and he's uh, an attorney, author, teacher, pastor, expert storyteller, and he'll he'll let you guys know about some of these things as well. He's founded Lanier Law Firm, uh, received numerous awards, such as the American Association of Justice's Lifetime Achievement Award and the National Trial, Trial Lawyers Association's Trial Lawyer of the Year Award. So he writes books, he tries cases, he does all these things, so he keeps relatively busy, and we're very excited to have him on to talk about this trilogy and more specifically on religion, how do we interact with these things, what questions do we ask, all this stuff. So it's a pleasure having you on, Mark Lanier. Oh, it's so great to be on this uh, podcast. You guys are killing it, and uh, mm-hmm. this series you've done uh, has just been dynamite, so uh, I appreciate the honor of getting to, in a sense, close it out. There you go. Yeah, you're 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 the closer. That's that's you right now. <laughs> hey, coming yeah. from coming from two guys who played a lot of baseball in their lives, I know what a closer, how important a closer is. I'll I'll try not to uh, walk home the winning run. Okay, that's right. We just did that, ah, there we go. Yeah, that one hundred and one spotted. Uh, yeah, in the strike zone, just to we got to strike out. But yeah, maybe uh, for those who may not know you, uh, know your background or thing, let let our audience know a little bit about yourself background, um, lawyer, writing ministry, all that stuff. Okay. I'm uh, married to my best friend, uh, uh, Becky, marvelous wife. We've got five kids and they, four of them have spouses. So in a sense, nine kids, nine grandchildren and uh, uh, absolutely love it. We're active at our church. Uh, I teach a class biblical-literacy.com yep. and we'll have uh, uh it's on the internet each week uh, but we'll have five six hundred people show up live to I saw, which is crazy yeah as well as a few hundred on the internet uh live streaming it um uh, i do a video thought for the day that you can find on youtube that's about mm. four to five minutes long uh, five days a week uh i uh, love the practice of law i love to write um, it, your listeners can go to LanierTheologicalLibrary.org, mm-hmm. yep. and we, we run a theological library in the U.S., but also we've opened up one that, mm-hmm. that we're in the process of doing in Oxford uh, and uh, have a place, a study center over in Oxford. And Are you in what, your, your uh, library, or is this your home office? I'm in my Houston library okay. right now. I have mm. an office in the Houston Theological Library, okay. and uh, so you'll see some books behind me. Yep. Um, my undergraduate degrees are in Greek and Hebrew, and so I try to read the biblical text in its original language, yep. and I uh, love what I do. I love this life. God has been very gracious to me, and I'm very thankful to him. Yeah, and I have another question. How on earth to do all this stuff all the same yeah. time? <laughs> yeah. uh, you, you, you learn efficiency. I, I told one of my kids one time, I said, you know, God gives everybody different uh, uh, gifts to, to navigate through this life. And, and one of the gifts that I think he's given me is, is that of a plate spinner. If you've ever seen those <laughs> videos where they've got 10 plates spinning and you run over to the one that's about to wobble and you spin yeah. it real fast, then you run to the next one that needs uh, tension and you <laughs> yeah. spin it. I can plate spin so I can keep a few things going at once. Okay. Very gotcha. Cool. 
Yeah, I think both Nick and I sometimes think we're busy, and when we meet somebody like you, we're like we're not busy. This is this is a different level of busy compared to us. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you guys are killing it. Keep it up. Yeah, I, I appreciate it. Um, so yeah, the then the next the next question. So a little bit that's a little bit about your background for those who uh, may be wondering. But this is part three of your on trials. So you had Christianity on trial. I think it was first atheism on trial, which was second, and then. Uh, religions on trial which is third which for those who are wondering like it makes sense that you're a lawyer so these are on trial so it's it's a yeah. kind of a good kind of little bridge between these so with <clears throat> this last book maybe to talk about like how this is different than your first two books because christianity is a religion and atheism you can kind of call it a religion too because you still worship something yeah um, yeah no i think like what, what what religions do you profile and, and maybe some some stuff about that too yeah so peter i think you're you're exactly right um, religion in one sense is <clears throat> how do you make sense of the world? Right. Yeah. What do you think is ultimate truth? At the end of the day, am I real or am I just a computer program that's sentient uh, in some distant computer uh, uh, world? You know, how do I assess uh, the reality of what I feel, of what I experience, and those around me? How do I explain why it is I like these crackers that I eat with my children <laughs> in the morning for yeah. breakfast or why Coke Zero uh, is sometimes uh, more tasty to me than plain water? Um, you know, what makes sense of this world where we live? And different people have different answers. So Christianity on trial was my first uh, uh, foray into this. Mm -hmm. And I thought it might even be my final statement. It, it, it served its own purpose. Uh, our son was pursuing his PhD in philosophy and logic at Oxford. Uh, and, and he had a lot of friends that thought Christianity seemed to make no logical sense at all and no philosophical yeah. sense. And so I wrote that book in a sense for his friends. Uh, it was addressing the questions of, what are the basics of the Christian faith? And would they make sense? Could I prove them in a courtroom? You know, is there a God? And if so, what kind of God is he, she, or it? Yep. Um, uh, you know, why would that God have any interest in me as a human? Uh, do I have any element of free choice in the way I live? Uh, is it absurd to think that there might be such a thing as Holy Scripture, as God revealing himself through words? Uh, you know, what about the audacity of, of the resurrection, you know, this whole concept you know, and future coming. So so that was that was book one. And I was happy with that. But then the more I thought about it, the more I, I thought, you know, I didn't really get a chance to dig into those who say either there is no God, uh, atheism, mm -hmm. or I don't know if there's a God or not. Maybe there is, maybe there isn't. But how am I supposed to deal with that? Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, or agnosticism. And, yeah. and so I wrote the second volume to really dig into that and to really address issues of, of whether or not, you know, science and faith are on opposite ends of a, a teeter-totter, a seesaw, or whether they're on the same side, and which I believe they are. And uh, so I, I wrote the second volume then, and then the third volume was, okay, so let's assess all these various things that walk around in the cloak of religion hmm. and decide who's wearing real clothes and who's wearing clothes that don't quite cover up everything that needs covering. And uh, <laughs> that's, that's this third volume. 
So that what you're saying is everyone is religious in the whole yeah. world, no matter what. And then every worldview has a creed. Yeah. So that that's right. And and Nick, it's interesting because that's a very Christian understanding. Here's here's the the premise of of fundamental Christianity in my mind, and and this is the guiding light for much of the dialogue we're going to have. It's that God is truth, and God has made this world to embody His truth, and He has fine tuned the human brain to where the human brain not only appreciates truth but gloms onto it. We embrace it. We hold on to it. Now, because God has put truth in this world, whether it's two plus two is four is truth in the world of science and math, or whether it is uh, uh, it's wrong to go out there and murder someone just for your own yeehaw, giddy up pleasure. Um, you know, God's put this truth as as wiring not only into our brains but into the fabric of the universe. And so you will find in almost every religious view that's a genuine searching for God mm-hmm. or for truth, you will find elements of truth. Yeah. You know, the atheist has elements of truth. The mm-hmm. agnostic has elements of truth. You say, well, how can an agnostic who doesn't know? Because God's not fully knowable. Mm-hmm. And, and there is an element of truth that nobody's going to know God exhaustively. Now, it doesn't mean we can't know God truly, truly know God, but the human brain, a brain that's the size of your two fists that weighs on average a couple of pounds, is not going to exhaustively know the creator of the universe who can recite the exact position of an electron on a star (laughs) that we've only now been able to see with the James Webb telescope that's 80 billion light years away. Yeah. That God is not going to be fully comprehended. So there's an element of truth mm. in all ideologies that are seeking God. Mm. And then as Christians, the question becomes, how do we weigh those ideologies to see where the greatest reservoir of truth is that we're willing to invest our lives in? Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, Nick, if you want to ask the yeah, next question kind of to... to begin what the questions are oh sure yeah um so you've been a lawyer for 40 plus years uh you don't look it you look like a young man still i can't believe how you do it yeah right? uh, you're even talking about how you have grandkids i can't believe it but anyway uh how does that background help you when engaging researching and talking about religion well i try cases on a national scale yeah, I know you guys have ties in the Northwest, in the the West Coast, in Central America, uh, Central uh, Central United States of America. Uh, uh, you guys have. I, I've got offices in L.A. I've got them in New York. I've got them in Houston. Mm-hmm. I've tried cases from coast to coast, from north to south. I handle cases all over the United States. We're opening an office in England. I handle cases in England. Uh, uh, this is what I do for a living. This is what pays the bills. This is <laughs> what, what uh, uh, funds the college education of my kids yeah. and so or uh, whomever. And, and so uh, the practice of law is, is extremely important to me 
in that I can't do what I do if I don't pursue truth. Now, I go after these cases on a national scale. Uh, they've made movies of my cases, uh, TV shows with my cases, books about my cases. I cannot be on that stage that I exist on legally unless I'm pursuing truth. Yeah. Because truth is the bedrock foundation of the justice system. If the justice system is pursuing anything less than truth, it's not just a charade, it's a mockery and it's a hypocrisy. And some people might say, well, I, I think that the justice is a charade and a hypocrisy. Mm -hmm. No, not when it's the justice system. That would be an injustice system. Mm -hmm. And there can be injustice in the system. Yeah. Yeah. But the job of a lawyer should be to root that out and to firmly plant everybody into a justice system. And a justice system is built on the bedrock foundation of truth. Now, that's one leg of my life. The other leg of my, my body is in the world of faith. Mm -hmm. and, and I've got friends all over the world who have beliefs that are also all over the world mm -hmm. and all over the map, the spectrum. Um, uh, and and the idea that we can and should pursue truth there is something that I take from my legal world as well. And so it is it's really just two legs of the same person. I seek to walk in truth, whether it's the step I'm taking uh, in in my faith or whether it's the step I'm taking in my profession. Mm -hmm. Either way, I want to step only into truth. And so the two mesh, quite well. And at the risk of boring your listeners, I'll, I'll add one more thing. Yeah. The American judicial system is deemed to be the best civilization has ever come up with at ferreting out the truth. We believe in it so much that you can bankrupt a company. You can decide which parent is better suited to get custody of children in a divorce. You can decide whether or not someone goes to, to the death chamber all based upon the American justice system. Mm -hmm. And so those rules that have allowed us to find truth with a jury of our peers, if applied to other issues, can help us find truth there as well. And that's why my approach, I think, is one that's very uh, useful uh, and, and didactic, teachable uh, mm -hmm. in, in the realm of, of faith as well. Yeah, before yeah. before next question, real quick, um, just so our, our listeners know, what, what are some of the questions? Because you have six questions that you ask each one of these religions and Christianity as well. You're going to base like the standard. If you don't meet the standard, then you don't meet the standard of kind of overall objective truth. So maybe if you want to kind of bring our listeners, like, what are these questions? How'd you come up with these questions? Why these questions? These are my common sense questions. I mean, ultimately, we've got our common sense to rely on. Now, that doesn't mean we don't inform our common yeah. sense, and it doesn't mean we don't investigate with common sense, but the bottom line is, these are just common sense questions. This mm -hmm. is not rocket science. This is simple. Mm -hmm. Question number one, is my belief system consistent with the world in which I live? Yeah. Now, I may believe the moon was made out of cheese, but... That's like Walton Grumman, consistent. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or I may believe the world is flat, but frankly, that's not consistent with the science as, as, as I best understand it. So yeah. question number one, is my view consistent with the world outside me? Question number two, 
is my view consistent with the world inside me, who I am? Um, uh, does it explain my, my successes? Does it explain my failures? Does it explain my hopes? Does it explain my fears? Does it explain my desire for companionship and my desire for solitude? Does it explain why I don't measure up to what I'd like to measure up to? Does it explain why I have this feeling that life's about something more than just me? Does it explain why I'm constantly looking for something to satisfy me? Does it explain why when I'm exhausted, I, I, I don't think as clearly as I do when I'm well rested? I, I want to know not only is, is my view consistent with the world, but is it consistent with me? And then an important third criteria is, do those consistencies measure up with each other? In other words, I can't have one view for me and one view for the world. Mm. Uh, on a simple level, my daughter, who was at the time a a, a vegetarian, she'd been a vegetarian oh, for yeah. a year. We went to a, yeah. a breakfast buffet, and she's a vegetarian because she just doesn't think it's right to uh, uh, abuse animals and 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 breed for feed and all of this kind of stuff. And we go to a breakfast buffet, and she comes back, and she's got bacon on her plate. <laughs> yeah. I said, "Gracie, you're a vegetarian. What are you doing?" And she said, "Well, Dad, not when there's bacon. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like, come on, be real." Yeah. And and you know, there's a consistency issue there. You want the answers for you to be consistent with the answers for the world. Question number four, criteria number four: Is it livable? Is this a belief system I can actually live? There are a lot of people, you know, everybody who sings John Lennon's song, imagine there's no mm -hmm. heaven, it's easy mm -hmm. if you try, imagine blah, blah, blah. Well, nobody can live that. John Lennon didn't live that. That's right. That's, that's, that's got about as much chance of being livable as, as living on the moon without a space suit. You know, you just, mm -hmm. it's not feasible. Question number five, does it answer life's big questions? Why am I here? Is there nobility and, and, and honor to such a thing? Uh, you know, is 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 there a reason that a soldier might truly die for for a noble cause? You know, is there value uh, in human life? Is one person as valuable as another? Is it wrong to be a racist? Is it wrong to be anti? You know, this, that, or the other. And then the last criteria for me is. Does it produce good people in a good society? Because uh, um, I think that that everyone recognizes inherently the goal of this world is to be better than it is today, to live together in some way uh, that 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 furthers prosperity and not denigrates into uh, destruction. Yeah. And so uh, those are my six criteria. And I try to look at each religious system or belief system with those criteria to determine which one uh, at the end of the day is worth my life. Yeah. Spoiler alert. It's Christianity. Yeah. It's, yeah. That's yeah. the one that matches. Uh, yeah. Each one of these criteria. Yeah. Let's uh, speak of truth because um, it's what all of us care about. You know, that's what the humans uh, throughout history have been seeking truth and I, the and the fall and sin has distorted it. And even Pontius Pilate asked Jesus, what is truth? Uh, philosophers have for millennia been seeking it and Christianity addresses it. But here, here's, here's a huge question. Um, we, we are confident in that. And then, but at the same time, there's other religions out there that are claiming truth as well. So 
Um, you know, there might be a little bit of an exception uh, with Buddhism and Hinduism, as you can explain, but many religious systems claim to have the truth, you know, and how can we respond to claims of the truth? And how can some of the questions you ask in your book aid us in this pursuit? Well, uh, let's let's break that apart. Um, so if you go back to what I was saying earlier, that God is not only embedded truth as a value, um, as something we pursue, something we want, uh, which, uh, Nick, in your, your, your very question, you point out, truth has been a pursuit mm -hmm. of, of thinking people for as long as we've had civilization. You know, you can go back to uh, Socrates and Plato and Aristotle, but not just them, uh, Pythagoras and Heraclitus and so many others of the Greek philosophers pursuing truth. You can go to not just Pilate, but to the better Latin thinkers, Cicero and mm -hmm. Virgil and others, and they're pursuing, trying to figure out what truth is. Some of them, truth in the world of elements. You know, Pythagoras was <laughs> trying to figure out what ultimately holds this world together. Plato was trying to discern, is there something that's unseen as well as something that's seen? Yep. So, you know, we, we talk about a, a table and I can talk to you about, I'm sitting at a table and you might envision something with four legs, but a table can have three legs. A table is generally flat, but it can be round. It can be square. It can be a rectangle. There is this form that exists in our mind of what a table is that gives definition to us using the word table, but that form isn't necessarily the physical table we see. It's an idea beyond that. So Plato develops this theory of forms in, in, in greater exhaustion that there must be some ideal out there that gives definition to the material things we specifically see. And all of this is a search for truth. And, and it's it's fascinating to me because you'll find elements of truth have been arrived uh, uh, within, if you will, uh, in all of these different religious systems like I referenced before. So what you're really trying to do is trying not just to find uh, if something's true, but find also where it's false. Where mm -hmm. can you say this isn't accurate? Now, if you go back into the 1970s, there was this massive movement in the way people think in neuroscience and, and in social sciences that deal with the thinking process. It was really brought to the forefront by these two fellas, Kahneman and Tversky, who won the Nobel Prize. Oh, yeah, yeah. Earth. Yep. And 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 it's been popularized in a book, Thinking Fast and Slow. Was, yeah, but that's a fantastic book. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they recognized and made public what social scientist studies had been showing for some time, namely that we have two different ways of thinking. We have a deliberative, rational thinking process, but we also have this almost spontaneous, intuitive, reactive instantaneous thinking process that's not always conscious. Sometimes we're making subconscious, no, often we're making subconscious decisions that we don't even realize. And one of the oldest ways that, that our brains have been hijacked by this irrationality at times is something called confirmation bias. Mm -hmm. Confirmation bias, um, 
Uh, I've taken it back to Greek philosophers. They've written on it. Francis Mm -hmm. Bacon wrote about it. Uh, You've got tons of modern scientists who write about it. It's this. It's once you've made up your mind about something, you tend to filter all of the evidence and all of the arguments in a way that confirms what you already believe. And that which you don't already believe, you discount. And if anybody wonders if that exists in the world, they need look no further than American politics. Right. If you find someone who is a, a, a pro-Trump MAGA Republican, for example, they will tend to listen to the evidence that supports them and discount everything else. Take the other end of this ideological spectrum. You get the rabid liberal Democrat who is, sees the, the world in, in, in completely different colors than the MAGA Republican. That same person, from their perspective, will tend to accept only the evidence and arguments that support what they already believe, and yep. they will discount anything else that you bring them. And so you, you, we see this all the time. Well, we see it in religion as well. And so you can talk to a Buddhist or you can talk to a Hindu or you can talk to a Mormon or you can talk to a Muslim or you can talk to a Jew or you can talk to certain Christians. And they're going to believe what they believe simply because they've globbed onto some truth and they discount or or, or ignore arguments that that disprove their faith system. And and the challenge for everybody, Christian and non-Christian alike, is to try to use that part of the brain that rationally filters through and looks at a, a fair appraisal of their belief system, not simply to reinforce and confirm what they believe, but to also challenge what they believe and see if maybe there are errors that need to be dealt with. Hey all, this is Peter, one of the co-hosts of the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast with a word from one of our sponsors, our title sponsor at Logos Bible Software. Have you gotten your free book of the month from Logos yet? Join tens of thousands of believers who build their library with a free new digital theological book each and every month. Then read it on the free Logos Bible study app. Logos is the easiest to use, most powerful Bible study tool on the planet. You heard that right, on the planet. It works on mobile, the web, and even has an amazing app for your laptop. I myself use the mobile app every night to read from the Hebrew, the Greek, and a few other resources. I love it. I've used other apps, and this is the best one on the market. It really, truly is. And if you want to go even deeper, you can choose from a vast selection of the top books for in-depth Bible study. There's also step-by-step videos to help you learn how to study the Bible like a pro. So get your free book of the month today. Go to logos.com slash guilt grace and get started with Logos today. We have this link in our show notes. So just open up our podcast, find our show notes, click this link, and you can get started with us with Logos Bible Software. As you probably know, we talk a lot about Westminster Seminary, California on here. I can't even begin to tell you the impact this institution has had on my faith, my family, and the ministry the Lord has entrusted me with. If you feel called to serve the church and want the most rigorous training for gospel ministry around, consider coming to Westminster Seminary, California. 
a confessionally reformed institution in sunny San Diego that offers master's degrees in biblical and theological studies, historical theology, and divinity. Westminster's approach to ministry education emphasizes a mastery of the original biblical languages, maintaining a small student-to-professor ratio, a laser focus on face-to-face education coupled with an understanding of the importance of having pastor scholars with decades of ministry experience train the next generation of servant leaders for the church of Jesus Christ. If this interests you, and I hope it does, call Westminster today at 888-480-8474 to talk to admissions counselor or visit www. .wscal.edu. Again, call Westminster Seminary California today at 888-480-8474 or log on to www.wscal.edu, which will all be available in our show notes. Westminster Seminary California for Christ, His Gospel, and His Church. Are you a student who's looking to go deeper into classical Protestantism and our theological heritage? What about a pastor who wants some sharpening of his theological, exegetical, and historical toolboxes? Are you a layperson who's looking for theological wisdom? Maybe you're an educator looking to lay a classical foundation in theology. The Davenant Institute seeks to retrieve the riches of classical Protestantism to renew and build up the contemporary church. And key to this mission is their educational arm, Davenant Hall. In an age where much theological education both overlooks the riches of church history and keeps students in debt, Davenant Hall is reimagining theological education. They take full advantage of digital technology to make high-quality theological education affordable via online classes. Davenant's offers an MLIT in classical Protestantism with the standard and pastoral ministry tracks, and a brand new PhD program in partnership with Union Theological College and Dominant Hall supervisors. Yet they insist that in-person fellowship is key to Christian formation. So to that end, they host regular residentials at the Dominant House Study Center in the beautiful Blue Ridge Mountain region of South Carolina. Registration for spring 2023 classes running April to June are now open, but registration closes March 29th. Fees start at just $225 for a 10-week class with a two-hour Zoom class from expert professors each week. Classes include the Reformation in the Modern World, a Biblical Theology of the Sexes, Augustine City of God, and so many more. These classes look incredible. Visit www.davenanthall.com to find out more or www.davenantinstitute.org for more information about the whole organization or go to our show notes and click on the link. Mm, that's, that makes sense. Um, a few things, just uh, statements or feedback. Um, I, I, when I, when I drive around, I see those bumper stickers that says coexist, you know? Yeah. And I think like the first thing I think of is they probably have a good intention, but they don't, they don't realize that not everybody can, there's not everybody can be, have the truth, 
there can't be multiple truths. Or like you can't play in the same team in some of these things. Yeah, because like all those gods contradict each other. There can only be, you know what I mean? So that was more like you said, there's like an element of truth in it. So you assume that that like tiny little piece of truth is enough to bring all this together versus saying, no, are we looking for the whole chunk of truth or do you just want a little piece of it? Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. No, you make a great point because so often we think because we've got a germ of truth or, or, or a chunk of truth that that you can then say every system is the same yeah. ultimately they all lead to the same place well that's not common sense logic right exactly uh, so you're let's say you're in los angeles and i'm in houston texas mm-hmm. i can take interstate 10 and i can drive oh, yeah. Yeah. all the way till it dumps out at pch1 there in santa monica I can do that. I can drive Interstate 10 all the way there. But if I want to go to Toronto, Canada to see the Blue Jays lose to the Astros, <laughs> if I want to drive up to Toronto, Canada, I can't take I-10. I can drive Interstate 10 till I'm blue in the face, but it's going to take me to Santa Monica or it's going to take me to Florida. It will never take me to uh, Toronto. And and all roads. Now that doesn't mean it's not a valid highway. That doesn't mean that it doesn't have you know uh, something for my wheels to to rub on. Uh, all of that's there's truth to it. Doesn't mean it doesn't go somewhere, but it's not going to the same place as the highway that goes up to Canada. Hmm. And so uh, if I want to go north, I take I forty five out of Houston. I don't take Interstate ten. You know, it, it all roads don't lead to the same place. Don't get me wrong. There are some aspects of mm. each religion that I look at, that I admire, mm-hmm. that I respect, that I can embrace. Uh, when when C.S. Lewis was probing the idea of whether or not there was a God, one of his buddies who helped lead him into faith was uh, Tolkien, Lord of the Rings, J.R.R. Yeah. Tolkien. And they were having a dialogue one time, and and C.S. Lewis said to Tolkien, he said, I couldn't ever be a Christian because y'all are so arrogant. Mm-hmm. You think you've got it right, and everybody else has it wrong. And Tolkien looked at him and said, that's not accurate. And Lewis said, what do you mean? And Tolkien said, that's not accurate at all. He said, the, as a Christian, we believe that God has sown truth throughout this world, the one who believes they're right and everyone else is wrong is the atheist. (laughs) It's the atheist that's arrogant and says there is no God. Islam says there's a God. Judaism says there's a God. Christianity says there's a God. Buddhism says there's a God. Hinduism says there's a God. Now we'll debate over who that God is or, you know, aspects of that God, things like that. But the only arrogant one that thinks they have it right and everybody else has it wrong is the atheist. And C.S. Lewis said that was a turning point for him because he began to realize that God has prepared the hearts and minds of everyone to hear his gospel. And as he's prepared the hearts and minds, that is because people are wired for truth. And you'll find some elements of truth that we can then go into and extrapolate from there to get on the right road to go where we need to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And <clears throat> I think that the, based on this conversation, I'm almost uh, also thinking about that uh, movie, the case for Christ with Lee Strobel, 
talking about proving he was an atheist trying to disprove Christianity. And his buddy was telling him the way you go for it, go for the jugular, try to disprove the resurrection. And he went at it and he was like, I can't, I can't disprove the resurrection. And that's the crux. And that's even what Paul says in scriptures, like the resurrection, our faith rests on the resurrection and knowing that it's true kind of everything else kind of is held together in Christianity based on Christ's resurrection. Yeah. And some people say, yeah, but that's circular reasoning. You have to go to the Bible to get the resurrection. And so when you go to the Bible to get the resurrection, you're proving the Bible by the Bible. Those people aren't digging in adequately. And I would urge them to read the chapter, The Audacity of the Resurrection, in my book, Christianity on Trial, because there's a lot of evidence outside of the Christian faith that makes sense Mm. of of the resurrection. And and, uh, I I frankly don't understand this world without the resurrection. And and yes, it takes a miracle for there to be a resurrection, but that's okay. Uh, Mm -hmm. Miracles can happen. It's not Mm -hmm. the norm, but miracles can happen. And uh, um, it's not the norm in the sense that most people define miracle. Let yeah. me put it that way. Yeah. Uh, I do think miracles happen all the time every day, but I define it uh, the way C.S. Lewis did. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, so anyway, I, I think you're you're exactly right. And I, I love talking to people um, who are unbelievers in, in any deity. And I also love talking to people who are believers, but understand God differently than God has revealed himself through the Bible. Yeah. And God, God created life. So he can certainly defeat death. You know, he created the cosmos. If there's a God, then yeah, miracles are possible. If there's no God, miracles are impossible. But if there is a God, then by, by necessity, you have to have belief in that. Like you can, you can have a miracle. Yeah. Yeah, I love what C.S. Lewis says. He says, he, he categorized miracles into two different groups the, you know, we have the natural order of the world with molecules and subatomic particles and the, the laws of nature. And sometimes there's a miracle where God just sticks his finger into the world and changes the laws of nature to make something happen. Uh, the virgin birth, good mm-hmm. example. Yeah. But there are other times where God takes the elements and the laws and rules of this universe, and he weaves a tapestry that creates a certain event or a certain occurrence. So it might be uh, uh, my friend has cancer and I'm praying for my friend, and by the wonders of medical science, which God put in place, and the weaving of the tapestry by God, my friend's cancer is put into remission. And, mm-hmm. and that's no less a miracle, even though God has used the elements of the world. You know, when God brought Nebuchadnezzar in from Babylon to conquer Jerusalem um, uh, as part of his prophetic judgment upon those people, um, that was God's work, even though God's using the natural world and the elements of history to bring about the the consequence he chose so there are two different kinds of miracles uh, but god's able to do them both yeah and when it's it's even kind of an ontology kind of aspect once we grasp and start to see how god is infinitely and eternally big and created the cosmos and created everything out of nothing and that we're here uh because only him um that you're like, well, of course he could raise himself from the dead. <laughs> it makes it a little bit easier to kind of like 
see that that point so um speaking of just you know just interaction engagement right so average christian uh wonders how how do i interact with all these religious systems when um if we're honest a lot of us are still trying or work in progress trying to learn our own christianity our own there's a lot of different you know doctrines and trying to nail that down or even just knowing the bible really well um, what advice would you have uh, when, it, when, you know, and that you even, that helped you personally writing this book with interacting with other cultures, other religious systems as a Christian? Well, there are a number of things that I would advise. Number one, I would advise people to learn. Um, uh, you know, there's, there's, there is, God is at work, Paul said in Romans 12, renewing our minds. Yeah. That means that that God is trying to take uh, what the the ways we think, but also what we think about and how we think about them, and and God is at work engaged in our neural and glial cells, in these synapses in our brains, these chemical channels that are set up that help us assess and ferret out truth. Um, Pray for a spirit of discernment as you seek to learn, because Paul says that God will honor that prayer and that it's a very important prayer, because you've got to always remember that the enemy is disguising himself, Paul said to the Corinthians, even as an angel of light mm -hmm. seeking to destroy, or Peter calls him a roaring lion. And so, so there are there, there's not just God who's seeking to confirm his truth in our hearts and minds. But there's also an enemy who's seeking to distort his truth in our hearts and our minds, who's seeking to steal and, and to cheat and to lie and to destroy. And so learn, learn. But as you learn, uh, uh, do it prayerfully. Do it uh, um, uh, with, with a genuine heart that's pursuing God. Uh, uh, you know, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. Uh, that's 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 important. Um, uh, it, it's not just a platitude. Jesus wasn't just thinking, hey, we've got a couple extra verses to fill here in the old Sermon on the Mount. Uh, what can I say? Hey, how about seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and and that'll take care of everything. But to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, to try to live a holy life, we can't be steeped pursuing sin and expect God's truth to be modifying our minds. We need to seek to bring to the cross of Christ um, uh, uh, all areas of, of, of questioning, but also all areas of our behavior. You know, sin, sin is a sticky uh, substance and it'll get you and it'll hold on to you and it absorbs you. And we need to uh, recognize that and 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 not just flee from it, but we need to 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 be careful to pursue purity, to bring it to the cross of Christ. You know, I've got people who say, you know, I'm I've just got an anger problem. Well, fix it by the time you're in your middle ages, at least, because otherwise you're going to grow up and be an angry old man. <laughs> or people say, oh, I've got a, a a problem with porn, or I've got a problem with uh, uh, sexual impurity. Well, fix it, get it to the cross of Christ and let him work on you. Are you going to turn into a dirty old man? You know, <laughs> yeah. or, oh, I've got a problem with, you know, fill in the blank. 
Those things need to be brought to the cross of Christ. So if we want to pursue the heart and mind of God, we need to pursue the purity of God in our life. It's not simply one where it's an academic exercise alone. Um, You will learn by the the waters in which you're swimming. And so uh, uh, my goal is to learn more every day. My goal is to grow purer every day. My goal is to prayerfully seek God and his truth every day in new ways. And then uh, uh, the final thing I would add is spend time with other people and in worship. Mm. Because in worship, in corporate worship, but also private worship, when you come before the throne of God, you are in the presence of the greatest truth there could ever be. 100% pure, unvarnished truth. And it will radiate into your life like it radiated to the face of Moses. And it will transform how you think and who you are. And it will give you strength and it will help you through the difficulties of life. And so uh, to do that, to do that in community with other believers uh, is the best way I know of to find truth and to grow in truth. Mm. Yeah. Real quick, right before Peter, and then I'll stop talking. I'll let Peter go. But uh, I think the a Bible verse plug that I would like to throw out there is John 14, 6. I mean, just based on this topic of interaction. Yes, uh, there's other religious systems out there that we come lovingly to engage with, to interact with these with them, but also to not ignore that Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. So just, I think for this conversation too, it's just like that that verse just popped in my head. It's just like very important. I don't know if you have a quick comment about John 14, 6. Well, my quick comment would be uh, uh, the, the verse starts out in the Greek, ego a me. Yeah. Ego a me is not just a Greek phrase to throw around. What John's writing that Jesus said is something that is so deeply profound because ego a me is the Greek of the name of God that God gave Moses in the burning bush. Yeah, and and um, and so for Jesus to say that, Jesus is saying not only is Jesus the way, but he is also part of that truth of God as revealed to Moses. He's part of the ultimate truth of God of history that ties Jesus directly back to creation, just as John has already done in John 1.1. That ties Jesus to the judgment day of the Lord that Joel and other Old Testament prophets prophesy about coming that we read about in the book of Revelation. I mean, Jesus is truth, not just yesterday, but yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And as for nobody comes to the Father but by him, sometimes we don't capture the full depth of that. You know, you you take a five-day-old infant who dies tragically, and we all know that that, that infant dies, and, and we trust that God will take that infant into eternity. But God can only do that because Jesus died for the sins of that infant. Say, well, the sin, you know, infant, yeah, the sin is born, the infant's born in a sinful state. 
We're all born into a sinful state. And Christ died. There's no way to the Father, even for that infant. When Paul's writing about it in Romans, Paul's big point that Christ had to die, if for no other reason, even if there's never going to be a church, never going to be a Christian, even if the, the resurrection Easter ends the whole story, Christ still had to die because God had passed over the sins of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, all these other countless saints in the Old Testament era. And God only passed over those because God outside of time knew that in time he had paid the price for their sins. There's no way for anybody to the Father except through the cross of Christ. He is the ultimate truth. And that goes back to what you were saying about the resurrection being, uh, uh, Nick, just something that, and, and Peter, you too, something that that holds us together. It is the foundational truth. Yeah. Yeah. So as we conclude, so both, both the last question of this episode and the last question of season five, <laughs> uh, how can we lovingly uh, uh, engage with those of various religious convictions as you talk about in this book and many others? Uh, and I'm, I'm sure in your own life, too, I mean, talking to those of different religious convictions uh, or those who who seemingly, although we know everybody has some sort of convictions, those who say, no, I actually I don't have any religious convictions. I'm not, I'm not religious at all, even though we know everyone has some sort of religious convictions. How can we engage them with the truths of the Christian faith, both in a way that like we're, we're boldly proclaiming um, the solid truth, the rock solid truth of Christianity, but also shows concern. We're not they're not just like, oh, you're just here to win me, um, not just like know me or be my friend or, or talk to me or, or live, li- live life with me. Cause I think that sometimes becomes the the case where like, Oh, well, you're just evangelizing me just to convert me and you're going to leave me and, and not actually care who I am as a person. How, how do we, how do we do this in our relationships uh, and how have maybe you done this in relationships and, and those that you know uh, that help us engage with other religious convictions? I, I think ultimately it boils down to a couple of things. Uh, uh, but, but the first one that we never need to overlook and never needed to say, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that. Move on to number two. The first one is, how are we living? Because that's that's the bottom line. That's the thermometer, mm-hmm. which will indicate uh, what the temperature is. And, and, and we may tell everybody, oh, it's hot outside or it's hot in here. But if our thermometer is showing at 30 degrees, then people will know that not buy, you know, that we're selling something that they're not going to buy. And uh, we are buying ourselves. Yeah, and exactly. And so uh, I think living authentically, and and that means genuinely caring for people and expressing that. You know, I I sometimes think the most important thing we can do is show people the love of Christ. Don't run from why you're showing it to them. Mm -hmm. Let them know this is why this love is in my heart. This is why I have joy. This is why I have peace. This is why in difficult times, I've got a place to go. This is why when things are miserable, uh, or I'm I'm not miserable. This is why when things are scary, I have faith in the face of fear. This is why I have an attitude of gratitude or some other platitude or whatever it may be. But, But let them see authentic living. And that means genuinely care for them. And, and, to do that, we've got to let God be transforming who we are, because on our own, we really don't care that much. And on our own, it really might be a notch in the belt. But if we truly get the heart of Christ that would willingly die for someone, then 
that starts to transform who we are and that love can permeate relationships. Now it, it needs to go another level. You need to let people know why you're that way, but people will wonder why everybody in the room is willing to talk about person X who isn't present and you won't, or everybody in the room is willing to spread gossip and you're not, or everybody else in the room is willing to denigrate others and you don't. Or everybody else in the room is willing to be out of control and and you choose not to. I there, there are different aspects where you will stand out like a light on a hill. And within the framework of that, it's marvelous how God can work. And then, like you're saying, you know, once you you reach that point of 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 conversion, please don't leave them out in the cold. Uh, I mean, your listeners may not know. I don't know if you've told them before, but Nick, you and Peter met uh, through uh, uh, Peter working at the greeting mm -hmm. or whatever, you know, at a, at a church that Nick never wound up placing his membership at. That's right, yeah. But yet that relationship was met and look how God has blessed it and how it's prospered and, and the fruit that's come out of it. And so don't leave it with, gee, we got you in the door, now I'm done. Um, if you genuinely care for someone, you know them, you go to them, but then once you get to the same place, you grow with them. And uh, there's a real value in that. Yeah. Well, I think that's a, there's no, no better place to, to end both the season and this episode. Um, I, I don't know, Mark, if there's anything you want to add to this, anything you want people to know about the books or uh, about some of the resources and, um, and helping them out on and knowing different religions, knowing different faiths, but knowing there's a little bit better too. And, engaging lovingly all that stuff i don't know anything you want to end with and if not we'll, we'll end it right here the only thing i would add is uh those who are internet gurus can easily figure out especially with my law firm and all how to email me if they have mm -hmm. questions and i don't hesitate to try to engage with anyone who wants to engage on this so anybody who's got questions or challenges uh, some of what i say uh, don't hesitate to email me i'd love to have a chance to reach out to you in in uh, love and and in intellectual rigor and discuss these things. And other than that, just God bless you guys and what you're doing. God bless your listeners. And uh, uh, it's an honor to get to speak on these issues. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, and it's like you said, it's Lanier Law Firm. You have the Lanier Theological Library. You got a, a bunch of different things. We'll put all this stuff in the show notes if people want to look at this. You want to see a big, a big old theolo theological library. Uh, like you said, you're building one somewhere else as well. But yeah, thanks for coming on. Thanks for writing these books. Uh, it's been a pleasure having you on on, on different religious faiths. And um, more thoughtfully and lovingly engaging with them and, and the people who believe them, not just the system, but the people who believe them. So thanks for coming on. You bet. Blessings Thank on you. Your Thank you. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the episode of our podcast, Guilt, Grace, Gratitude. And if you go to our show notes, as a reminder, there is a link to Patreon and you can find out how to become a bridge builder. Yeah, we've got five different support levels and the levels go from uh, just a, a $5 donation to help keep the lights on and, and get some equipment all the way up to you guys get to be part of our decision-making process for episodes, for content, for authors, for guests, whoever it may be. And you guys get consistent conversations, maybe even since our episodes, the second that we record them, instead of having to wait for episodes to come out. So look at that, see what you wanna do. As part of that, we have a goal to get about $1,000 a month. That's to cover some costs, get some new equipment, and just hire some people as well. And also, if you guys can rate and review us 
on iTunes, on Spotify, on any one of your podcasting platforms. This is the number one way besides word of mouth that word gets out about what we're doing. So we hope to see you guys next week.